0: Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick. Um, I'm the pastor for student ministries here at Hershey Free Church. Um, And I just want to thank you for joining us on this very clear fall Sunday now. Uh, It feels like fall is now here. You wake up with frost on your windows. um, And hopefully the snow stays away. Um, That's what my prayer is going to be for a while, until Christmas. And then after Christmas, it will be the same thing. Um, White Christmas and I'm done. Um, but I just want to thank you for being here. If you're new, visiting, you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we are in a series in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an Old Testament book written by the prophet Habakkuk. Um, and we were looking at this, this topic of when hope seems hard. And this is a, a, a topic that I think for a lot of us we can deeply resonate with because we get it. We know it. We're walking through that. And the interesting thing is that as we progress through this book, chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Habakkuk, was Habakkuk having this dialogue of going back and forth to God, asking him questions. Why is evil triumphing? Where are you? Don't you hear me? And he has this dialogue where he and God go back and forth, and God helps him to understand that he is with him. But now, as we enter chapter three, Habakkuk's posture changes. You see, Habakkuk is, is going to engage differently now than he has before. And what we come to realize is this, is that Habakkuk, when he starts off chapter three, he starts it with a prayer. Chapter 3 verse 1 says this, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. And the reason this happens is Habakkuk, as he enters into this new passage, he's come to this understanding after his dialogue with God that there is hope. He comes to this understanding that there is hope in the midst of hopelessness. And what happens is he's now going to progress through this. And he's actually going to take us on on a history lesson today. And I think the reason for that is this. He wants us to know that in moments when we are stuck in moving forward, perhaps it's time to look back at God's provision. Habakkuk has been walking through a, a, a very dark point in the history of the nation of Israel. When there is no hope, when the nation's been divided into two warring countries, one has been taken captive and now lives as exiles, both have seen war and disease wreck their countries. He's watched his nation turn from God. And yet what Habakkuk does when he's going all around me is hopelessness. He's going to reflect back on God's provision. And I think for a lot of us, we we can hear that, and you know, it, I think if we were honest with ourselves, you know, it sounds good in theory. But in practice, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't translate into my circumstance. We can sit here when we can say it was easy for Habakkuk to refer back. He was a prophet. That's what he did. He wrote the Bible for goodness sakes. I mean, come on. Of course he could look back. Or perhaps you're going, "My situation is so vastly different." That doesn't correlate to my moment. However, I would say it does. I would say that what Habakkuk is going to challenge us to do today, to look back in moments of hopelessness, to reflect back on God's provision, I think it does translate into each of our lives. And what I would like to do is maybe to share with you a little bit of who I am and a moment where that happened in my life. So perhaps you could see how it does translate. So I grew up in your stereotypical Christian family from the outside looking in. Oh, the 90s and the 80s were not good for fashion. (laughs) Oh, and it doesn't get better when it's blown up on the big screen. Oh, it's bad. Um, It doesn't get better when you look either. Um, But the reality is... um, from everybody else's perspective we looked like your typical all-american christian family five kids four boys one little girl we had a dog we went to church my dad had a good job as an engineer um, in fact we, we did the whole the whole like sunday church thing like where you go for the whole day like you show up at 8am you don't leave till 2 because there's lunch then you come back at 5 for prayer meeting that goes till 10 Some of you laugh because you've lived it, you know. It was like Sunday was not a day of rest. You did not get to watch football. It was a day of church, right? And like we would go the whole day. We did the Wednesday night and the Thursday night thing. We did the Bible clubs. We did the prayer meetings. We did it all. Isn't it interesting how perspective is in the eye of the beholder? Because if somebody had simply asked somebody had simply stepped in, they would have seen something vastly different. Thirteen years. Thirteen. Thirteen years of hell on earth. I was abused for thirteen years. Emotionally, mentally, verbally, and physically by my older brother. 13 years of hell. A lot of scars, both internal and very real external ones, still remain. 13 years of hopelessness, of asking the question God, where are you? Don't you care? There is no hope in my life. The hope I had was to live for another day, another hour, or another minute. Thirteen years of hopelessness. And I think, I know that Habakkuk understands that. Because if you take a peek into the history of Israel and what Habakkuk himself was walking through, moments of utter hopelessness, utter despair, questioning, God, will we make it another day? He gets it. it's in the middle of that moment in Habakkuk's life where he is wrecked. Where he doesn't see hope that he pens these words that we can read in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 2 through 15. It says this. Habakkuk writes, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the the great waters." There's some really strong and powerful words in this passage. And what Habakkuk is doing in this moment is he is tracing for us the history of the Exodus. The words that Habakkuk pens in this moment as he remembers God's provision, he defaults to a time of complete hopelessness and despair in the nation of Israel's history. Up to this point, Israel had been living in Egypt. They came as foreigners. They lived well while Joseph was there. But after Joseph passed away, Israel very quickly became slaves to the Egyptians. To say they were oppressed is a vast understatement. They were beaten, they were murdered, they were treated cruelly. In fact, shortly before the exodus, Egypt put out a decree that all young male babies were to be slaughtered. A time of hopelessness. A time of despair. It's in that moment where Israel cries out, God, where are you that God... He sends his ambassador, he sends Moses, and Moses goes down to Egypt, and we know the story. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh always says, no. And so God acts in that moment, he sends plagues to the nation of Egypt, and and finally Egypt relents and says, okay, fine, you can leave. And so Israel actually leaves, and they plunder Egypt, and they begin to leave. But as they leave, what happens is Pharaoh and his advisors realize they made a horrible mistake. Their economy just left. And so Pharaoh does what he thinks is best. He rallies up his army, he grabs a few horses and chariots he has left, and he rushes after the Israelites. And at this point, the Israelites are on the shore of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh and his army. Again, hopelessness takes over. Israel cries out, You know, God, it would have been better if you left us as slaves in Egypt. God, it would have been better if you never rescued us. What are you going to do? God, do you even care? And again, God, in the moment of hopelessness and distress, responds. And he sends a cloud to blind the Egyptians. And he literally rolls the Red Sea back upon itself and allows Israel to cross. And as Egypt begins to pursue, God causes the waters to crash and demolishes Egypt's army and frees his people from oppression. It's a beautiful picture of of God responding in times of anguish, of God responding in the midst of utter chaos. And what Habakkuk is doing is he's showing us this, that in moments of chaos, in moments of hopelessness, in moments where we can't see a way out, there is hope. Oftentimes when we're in those moments and we can't see a way out, it's because the circumstance has blinded us. Because we can't see where God is moving. And the reality is this, is like just like a backup in this moment, we have the privilege of seeing the whole story. We get it from the 50,000 foot view. We can see it from beginning to end. And we sit there and sometimes we go, come on, Israel. (laughs) He just sent plagues to the nation of Egypt. He just rescued you, and you're still going to complain? You're still going to go, where are you? Yeah. Just like we do. But what we have to acknowledge is that in that moment, in the midst of utter chaos, where it's either drowning on one end or it's dying by the point of a spear on the other. And they thought there was no hope. Hope reigned supreme. God never walked away. He never left them. He was there with them. And what we need to realize is that in the midst of our circumstances, where there is chaos happening, Where there is hurt and brokenness existing, there is hope. Hope that he will see us through. As we look at this passage, I believe there are three truths that stick out here. Three truths that that from this text, I think, help us in those moments. that, That speak to us as we walk through those moments of despair, of hurt, and brokenness. And the first is this, that in life's darkest moments, hope still exists. In life's darkest of moments, hope still exists, and God's plan is still perfect, and he cares for his people. He cares for you. I think in those dark moments when we cry out and go, God, do you even care? It's because the circumstance, the situation has blinded us to the truth that he does care. For you see, in Israel's time, as they're walking through this, they did not realize that God was there. They didn't realize that, that God cared about his people. They thought he brought them out to die. But God's plan was no, let me show you how I'm going to provide. And throughout the entire story of the Exodus, you see when Israel continues to cry out and God provides in amazingly big waves. You're dying of thirst, here's water from a rock. You need food, let me make birds fall from the sky for you. Let me make it rain bread. Right? It's a carb lover's dream. And we sit there and God continues to provide. And it's in those dark moments when Israel would cry out that we realize in big and powerful ways that God, his hope exists. And that he has this beautiful plan crafted from beginning to end that shows us how he cares. And we have the privilege of being able to see that now in his word. And so when we look back, we get to see that hope that we have. In life's darkest of moments, hope still exists. But the second truth is this. We You, me, we are never alone. We are never alone, and God sees us through the valleys. There are some people here today, and I'm not foolish enough to think that there aren't, but there are people here today that you feel like you're in it by yourself. You believe that you are the only one who understands. You're the only one walking through that circumstance. You're the only one who can grapple with this issue. And that is a lie straight from the depths of hell. You are not alone. Because we see that in this text. We see that Habakkuk, as he writes this story, he proclaims how God stepped in in big and powerful ways. It wasn't like God went to take a nap, it wasn't like he had a coffee break and said, Hey, I'll be back in 10. He was ever present and ever active. In fact, if you read through the book of Exodus, you'll see where Israel cries out and God says, I have heard your cries. I have heard your cries. Literally, I have been there as you have cried out. We are told that he travels with Israel as they go throughout the land. You are never alone. God is ever present and ever active. Even in those moments when we think it's hopeless, God is working out his plan, his complete and perfect plan for your life so that you will know who he is and that you have hope in him. But it's more than that. God is ever-present, ever-active. But you are not alone in a very real and physical sense. Because if you look around this room this morning, there's an army of people to walk this with you. That burden that you are carrying That hurt that you are shouldering, that pain and fear that is crippling you, is not for you to carry by yourself. You are not alone in this. But that leads us to our third truth, which is that our darkest moments become a testimony of light to ourselves and to others. Because here's the thing, in acknowledging that you are not alone, that first means you need to take a step and ask for help. Because perception is in the eye of the beholder. And we're really good at putting on masks. And oftentimes we need to be able to say, I. I need help. And then for those of you, because there are many of you in this room who have walked through those hells, your obligation, your joy now is that you get to walk through it with them. And that's hard too. Because for a lot of us that means opening up old wounds. That means that we have to acknowledge that hurt exists. And I say this, and I think, again, like our response in hearing this oftentimes is that sounds like a great theory. It sounds really good, the words you say. It's not going to happen. There's no way. But I think if we pause for a moment and we reflect on what God has done in our lives, I think the exact opposite is true. It can happen in really big and powerful ways. 13 years. That's where we left off. The abuse stopped when I was 13 uh, because my brother was removed from our house the pain didn't stop the fear or the anxiety it was very real and so for 5 years after that i i rebelled i became a very angry and a very violent individual I openly rebelled against God. I truly believed that he did not exist. And then one night when I was 18, God grabbed a hold of my heart. I still went to youth group because my parents forced me to. And I remember after going to youth group and hearing the youth pastor speak some truths about who God is, I drove home angry with God all the more. I remember sitting in my car, yelling at God, and in that moment, God spoke some words of truth in my life, and he said, Nick, I never left you. Nick, I cried with you. I hurt with you. Nick, I love you. And I forgive you. It was in that moment that my life changed. I stopped running. I stopped running from God and I ran towards him. It was in that moment that my life changed a lot. My past didn't change. I'm still a statistic. I'm still a victim. The scars didn't go away. I could show you them. But what changed is how I looked at my past. See, what Habakkuk did is similar to what I did. I didn't let my past define me, rather I let my past refine me, because Christ redeemed my hell. And oftentimes, when we walk through moments of hopelessness, moments of despair, we ask why, we ask where. And the reason that we walk through moments of hopelessness is because we see where our hope lies and that God sustains us through them. For you see, if if I had not walked through that hell, I wouldn't be here today. If I had not walked through that hell. I would never have went into ministry. If I would never walked through that hell, I never would have went to school for ministry. If I walked through hell, if I had not walked through hell, I would never have met my wife. You see, my past, would I have walked through what Christ brought me out of is proof that hope exists my past has allowed for me to relate with some amazing people to walk through hell on earth with people to show them that there is hope to show them that that hell is not the end to show them the saving power of the gospel If I had not walked through that hell, those pictures wouldn't be a reality. You see, one of those pictures is real special to me. Well, all of them. Um, But the one in the bottom left, that's my niece, Ariana. My older brother still does not know Jesus. Jesus. In fact, he does not believe in anything I do. But the cool thing is that through his two little daughters, through Alexa and Ariana, he hears about Jesus each and every day. We were able to give Ariana a Bible. She forces my brother to read it to her. God has a great sense of humor, does he not? My niece, Alexa, Praise for my brother to know Jesus with him. There is hope. There is hope in the midst of chaos. There is hope in the midst of brokenness. There is hope in the midst of loss. Hope reigns. Chaos is defeated. But the question that we need to ask ourselves then is how do we do this? Because we can not acknowledge these truths all day long. But the question is how? And I think the first three ways that we do that can actually be found in the text. And the first is through prayer and scripture. And this is not like a cliche Christian excuse. But when you look at Habakkuk and you know what he's walking through, and when he finally comes to this understanding that hope reigns in the midst of chaos, his only response is to get on his knees and pray and to dig deep into God's word. And I think sometimes we, we forget to do that when that's happening because the blinders come up and we, we forget that we need to be Leaning into God, and we lean into ourselves, and that's where a lot of this comes from. We need to lean deep into the truths of Scripture to cry out, to rest in the truth that God gets it. That he knows our pain, that he knows our hurt, that he hasn't forsaken us, he's not abandoning us. That he is there walking through it, carrying us through it, so that we can be a testimony of his grace and goodness. And that is the power that we have. And we see that when we lean deep into who he is. So if you're in that moment of chaos, that moment of hopelessness now, lean deep. Lean deep into who he is. The second is journaling. I'm not good at this. This is something I I struggle with all the time. But I I, I bring this up because if you look at this book, this book that Habakkuk wrote is his personal journal that we get to read. We get the privilege of investigating this with him. And the reality is this is that when we journal, when we have these conversations, when we walk through these mountains and valleys, it helps us to process and to think through and to respond in new ways. And the reality is that when we do that, you can do it in a variety of ways. Some of you are old school. You love pen and paper. Some of you are like me and you have horrible handwriting and you can't do that. It's cool. They have these things on your phone called notes. You can type them. Or you can use dictation. Ask Siri. She'll take a note. You can journal in a variety of ways, but it helps us to remember and to recall and to move forward in how we engage in those circumstances. I also think that from scripture, we need to remember where God has sustained you. And that is exactly what Habakkuk does in this passage. He goes, where did God engage? Where did God react? Where did God take hopelessness and restore hope and say, look, I have sustained you. And he goes to one of the darkest moments to reflect on. Remember where God has sustained you. We all have those moments in our lives. But I think there's two other things that we can do that don't necessarily come from the text. but are very good principles to put in play. It's then to recall your memories. And this is different than remembering where God has sustained you. Because when you remember where God has sustained you, you're remembering the actions that God took. When you recall your memories, you're recalling how you felt, what you did, and how you were moving forward. You're looking at your response now. You're recalling how you engaged. You were going to say, this is my action plan. Perhaps this is what worked and this is what didn't work, and now this time I have a means to an end. Recall your memories. And lastly is seek out people who have been through similar circumstances. And that is probably the hardest one there. Because that means vulnerability on the side of those of us who have been hurt. To acknowledge that we that we are in moments of hopelessness. And that means we have to be transparent, which is terrified. But if you are walking through that now, you need to hear this from me that there is no judgment in that, there is no shame, there is no guilt, because it's been redeemed. And you are whole in Christ. But then on the other side of that coin is the response of those of you, those of us, who have walked through those hells. We need to walk it with them. We need to be the very tangible hands and feet of Jesus to walk, to advocate, to care for, and at times carry people who are walking through those hells. Which is hard because for those of us who have walked it, it means we have to wrestle with our past. But we rest in the hope that we have. You see, in this room today, there are a lot of hurting people. I'm not foolish to think I'm the only one with a story like mine. There are people in this room who are battling anxiety and depression and feel like they're alone. There are people who are wrestling with loss. I feel like nobody gets it. In fact, our church family has been dealing with loss this past week as we lost an amazing person, as we lost Ben Hoffer. And there are people in this room who need us to rally around them. Not only do we need to lean deep into God, lean deep into this community. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Walk with, advocate for, and carry people as we emulate Christ to those who are in the midst of hopelessness. We're going to ask the band to come back up. And as we get ready to enter into this time of worship, I want to leave you with this last thought. And it's this. It's that in the midst of perceived hopelessness, you are not powerless. And there is still hope. Oftentimes when we are in those predicaments, when we feel alone, when we feel broken and hopeless, in that moment we feel like we have nothing and it couldn't be further from the truth. You are powerful because the spirit of God indwells you. You are powerful because the cross paid for you. You are powerful because Christ has rescued you and there is hope that the hell you are walking through We'll get better. Lean deep into Christ. Lean deep into one another. This burden is not your own. Let Christ carry you. We're going to respond through worship. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to respond in your own way. If you need to stand and you just need to sing the truths that are in this song, do it. Proclaim them loudly and boldly. If you need time to just pray, do it. But let me encourage those around you to pray with you. You're not alone. So if you see somebody praying, pray over them. Join them. Rally with them. If you need to kneel, Do it. This is your space. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. That you are the God of hope that restores hope to the broken. You are the God of hope who brings healing to the hurting. You are the God of hope who brings life. Pray, Father, for these people in this room, for all of us today, Father, that we resonate with that truth, that this, that our past, our pain, these moments, they don't define us. Our hope in you does. Let us worship you now, we pray. Amen. And sing with us.